Hi, and welcome to the Sit Down with Suzanne podcast. I am your host, Suzanne. I am a author, a minister, a life coach, a motivational speaker, and a leader with over 20 odd years of experience leading multi-million dollar corporations. And I am here for your listening pleasure. I am also here to introduce a phenomenal young lady. So for those of you that have been following along, and I hope you all have been, um, the Phenomenal Woman series premiered last year during Black History Month, and I spoke to four phenomenal Black women. And back by popular demand, I got so many requests to redo the series. And this year, we did get off to a little bit of a late start, but I am very, very excited because we started the season off. We already have one episode out under our belt, and I chatted with a phenomenal woman, Miss um, Parley Jones. So... There is a little bit of a story because if you listen to that one, I talked a little bit about her daughter, Medina. And for the very first time, we have a daughter of a phenomenal woman who is also a phenomenal woman herself. So welcome, Medina. Thank you. Thank you. Peace. And thank you for the kind words. No problem. So Medina, um, you know, I talked yesterday about um, Shayeja being my first auntie when I came to Massachusetts, being welcoming, being the first advocate that I knew, the first um, activist that I knew, the first, you know, one that was just unapologetic about teaching our history and demanding our space. And she raised this little warrior. And I met this little kid um, that was following her mother around way back when and it's just so beautiful to see you come into your own um you left us briefly to go away to college you have traveled um you know you're back and one of the reasons why I chose you for the phenomenal woman series um you know I think that you know, everything that your mom has given you is fantastic. And, you know, you've been doing a lot of things behind the scene for years. But last year, I really saw you step out and took your place, um, you know, as now the the forerunner are at the forefront or the president, you know, I don't know what the title is, um, of our story edutainment and what that meant for you to stand up as a young black woman for, you know, the protests and racial equality and all that. So that's one of the reasons I was so impressed. I was so blown away because sometimes we have these blinders on, right? You know, we see the little kid, and always, you know, you'll always be the little kid to me, no matter what. <laughs> Even when you're president of this company, our country, you will be that little girl that I saw. So, you know, welcome. I'm so excited that you're here. I'm so excited that you said yes and that you're part of the um, our story here. So in your own words, just talk to me a little bit and tell us who you are so our viewers can hear. Word. So again, I'm Shaisha Medina. Um, my auntie knows me well, and when folks call me Medina, that means they've known me since I was a peanut. Um, and my mom is Shaisha Mecca or Parley Jones, and I'm Shaisha Medina. Um, so again, I, you know, my mom came back from New York City with two little black babies in hand and wanted us to see ourselves and our culture reflected in everything that we did. Um, so coming up, I supported and, and, her vision and making our Bob Marley birthday bash happen, participating in our Kwanzaa celebrations, um, a number of youth, you know, activism programs and so on and so forth. 
Um, I went away to college. I graduated from Worcester Technical High School. I'm from the city of Worcester, K through 12, all the way up. Um, graduated from Worcester Technical High School and thought I was going to major in something business related, finance, so on and so forth. Um, I went to college. I spent two years managing and um, majoring in, in management. And a week before I was supposed to sign my paper declaring my major, I was like, this is not what my spirit is supposed to be doing. This is not my calling. I'm good at this. I can do this. My um, advisor actually didn't refuse to sign my, my slip because he's like, you're making a horrible mistake. You're so great at this. Um, and I decided it was no longer my calling. And I decided to major in Africana or critical black studies and urban education and i have a minor in geography so all of those things are big fancy ways to say focusing on black history both in america the caribbean and africa and the world quite frankly um urban education says you know we know our students need a different kind of love care and attention mm -hmm. that we need to give to them um and geography is the study of space how how the city is set up where the bus routes go why this park bench is here and not here and all of these things seem really small in our everyday day-to-day -day lives but People put a lot of thought into what resources are where and who lives in what neighborhood and so on and so forth. Um, so when I graduated, I inherited the 15 plus year legacy and work of my mom. Um, and I am now the, the leader, the executive director, if that's what you want to call it, of um, Arster Edutainment. And I'm really excited to maintain the, the traditions that we have done and incorporate some new programs into our our work and see how we can expand and continue to reach people and raise consciousness in the city and anywhere we choose to go. All right. Wonderful. So tell me, what was it like growing up with, um, you know, Parley as a mom? Because, you know, you're going to school, they're teaching you one history and then, you know, you're coming home and she's like, OK, that is not the history. Um, let me teach you this. So you're learning essentially in school and at home. And, you know, most students are probably like, you know, there's just too much learning and things like that. So what was it like growing up and getting a separate education um, from what you were being taught in school? Sure. So I think um, for me, I thought that everyone had a mom like Parley Jones. I thought everyone had this village um, that I, you know, this this group of folks who were not blood related to, but who were able to say, does your mom know where you are? You sure if I call her right now, she's going to tell me it's OK that you're here. Um, and I thought everyone had that until I went to college. And I was like, Ma, do you know that people don't know what Kwanzaa is? People have never celebrated Bob Marley. People don't know anything about Black history. And I didn't realize what a, what a privilege that was until I went away to college and was around Black folks who did not have that. Um, so I think it was it's a blessing and a curse in the best way, because obviously when Black people understand themselves and their history and where we come from and our powerful ancestors, um, it means that we walk through the world with our head up and in, in an upright position and nobody could tell us nothing. Um, but it also meant that I, I had to sit there and be like, you're lying. I know you're lying. You're not telling the truth and you're not talking about these people. Why didn't I learn about Marcus Garvey? I love him. My mama always tells me about him. Um, so trying to navigate that as a kid was a little difficult, obviously, but it's as a, as a grown woman, I'm, I'm deeply grateful to have lived in that, that duality so that I can continue to, to be conscious young and try and bring other young people into this, into this work and into this, this, you know, conscious state so we can try and help our folks restore ourselves to our traditional greatness, as Dr. Milana Karenga says, from who is the founder of Kwanzaa. Um, All right. So 
Good and bad in the best ways. <laughs> it is. No, wonderful. You know, and you know, you mentioned everybody knowing each other. It reminds me, you know, where we are from the island, like everybody knew your parents and like just having respect for your elders and, you know, walking from the bus stop to that your home, you have to say hi and acknowledge every single adult that you pass. And, you know, my dad was um, Mas Clifton and everybody, depend, you know, Mr. Mas Clifton, Pitney, and, you know, she never say hi. And, <laughs> and um, you know, you better make sure you come correct. So it was, it was a wonderful upbringing. And mm-hmm. I think that's one of the things that struck me when I came to America. Um, I didn't, that village wasn't there. And, you know, I mean, thank goodness for your mom who welcomed us into her village and, you know, embraced my mom and things like that. But it it was just, it was something that was like missing. I was like, oh, like, and, you know, you address adults by their first name and things like that. Those were things that like, and I know my little girls, they better not. And Exactly. Exactly. Or, you know, yeah, it's um uh different. But yeah, so it was definitely different um coming and, you know, seeing your mom and just getting all that love from her and seeing like like I said, my first idea of what an activist was and all of that. But we already chatted about her yesterday. Mm-hmm. We we chatted. So we're talking about you today and you know what it was like to grow grow up with someone like her. Um and you know, I I appreciate you seeing and recognizing that while just because you're good at something doesn't mean that it's your passion Mm -hmm. and recognizing that you have a greater calling and having that struggle with your advisor and, you know, them thinking they know what's best for you. You know, I think about, um, you know, like Michelle Obama in her book and so many influential black folks that, you know, we know of that, you know, they had struggles with advisors too, who thought they should apply to, you know, lesser known schools, um, Mm -hmm. to go geared towards certain types of studies to be geared towards like, as if we are not intelligent enough to understand our own mind and our own passion Mm -hmm. and our calling. So after college, you did a bit of traveling. Mm-hmm. All right. So talk to me what where you went and what that was like. Sure. So I went to further my studies a little bit and try and make the universe my university. The world is our classroom, of course. Um, and I went to Argentina. I went to Vietnam. I went to South Africa. And then I had come home for like a month. And then I spent four months in Ghana. And then I came home for like a month again for our Juneteenth festival. I could have missed that. Um, and then I went to the Caribbean for three weeks to the islands of um, Antigua, Nevis, and St. Kitts. And all of my studies was trying to learn about Black people around the world, Black folks' impact in Argentina, which um, is huge. It's, it's you know, the Afro-Brazilian people who the majority of the enslaved people who were taken, taken from West Africa went to Brazil. So if 100 people were taken from West Africa, 38 of those people would have went to Brazil. That is the largest African population or the descendants of African people outside of Africa. So I think a lot of times we think of African slaves being brought to America, which they obviously were, but the majority was brought to Brazil and the Caribbean, as I'm sure you know, as an island woman as mm-hmm. well. Um, but the impact of Black people in, um, in Argentina, the Afro-Brazilians, the impact that the American, you know, what we call the Vietnam War, what they call the American War, 
um, the impact of what our country had done to Vietnamese people over there. Um, you know, some of our black soldiers were involved in that and just trying to unpack what that means. Um, the history of apartheid in South Africa and Nelson Mandela and Sarah Bartman, who is a black woman who was her body was on display for European people. And I was actually able to go and visit her final resting space um, in South Africa, which was incredibly powerful. Um, and then again, learning about the impact of colonialism and religion on Ghanaian people now and learning about the legacy of slavery and the impact of Christopher Columbus, which is obviously we now understand collectively that Christopher Columbus did not discover anything in this world, um, but he did have a huge impact on um, a lot of those Caribbean islands and in, in the way that he was able to take folks away and um, take resources away. And it's, it was just a, a beautiful experience to be able to travel for one, which I feel like is a privilege because I can leave this country without fear of not being able to come back inside the country um, because I have that privilege of being born in this country. An American passport does something very different than other passports do, as I'm sure we all understand. Um, but I was welcomed into a lot of different spaces and it was good for me to understand how blackness works around the world. I think sometimes we get really deeply entrenched in America because we're here and we know American racism is, is you know, one way, but in Argentina is incredibly different to be a black woman and walking through the, the space in Argentina and Vietnam. It was incredibly different because there was no black people over there. Most folks had never even seen a black person in real life. Um, so just navigating all of that and what it means to be black in Ghana, where everyone's black, so they don't even consider themselves black. They're, they're Ghanaians or they're their specific ethnic group or, or clan. Um, so it was it was good for me as someone who's committed to black freedom, black liberation, the, the understanding of our history as black people to really understand how blackness works around different places in the world. So humbling experience. That is incredible. You know, just to have the opportunity to travel and um, occupy space as yourself, um, but seeing what others see and experiencing just different um, levels of treatment in, you know, Argentina, in Vietnam, in the motherland itself, um, you know, so uh, thank you for sharing that. Um, and if of all the countries that you visited, where would you recommend if someone was trying to get a deep sense of self and pride, where would you recommend they visit? Hmm. That's a really great question. Um, I would say, I well, I would say two, only because um, for me, I went to the slave dungeons in Ghana. They actually call them slave castles, but I, ref I don't think it's okay to call them castles because our ancestors were in there for months at a time waiting in, in cells no bigger than like a, a room with 400 people in them and they were just chained to each other and, and you know, I saw the door of no return. I walked through it and had the privilege of being able to return when millions of our ancestors went through there and never came back to their homeland in the physical sense. They may have came back, you know, after they had passed on in the physical world, in the spiritual space. Um, but many of them were stolen from their space and never walked back through those doors. Um, and it's an incredibly heavy space to be in. You can't do the things you do to people in that space. Folks were abused in there. Folks were beaten in there. People died in there. Um, you can't do that kind of stuff and energy not still exist. It was heavy the minute I walked in. Um, and so I think for us to better understand our origins and where we come from, Ghana has three slave, slave dungeons, three different spaces across the coast. Um, and I went to all three. So I think for us to better understand our origin, that would be a, a beautiful place for people to visit. 
Um, but I also think South Africa, because the history of apartheid, because there are white folks who live in South Africa and there are the African traditional people who are there. Um, the poverty is, 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 I mean, it's like a slum right here and then a mansion right next door. And so the, the, the people of South Africa are not confused about their condition. They understand exactly what they need for their liberation and they are fierce. They are like Black Panthers time 100, you know, in their own space. And I, I, I enjoyed learning with um, a lot of the folks who are my age who were engaged in freedom fighting in, in the 21st century. Um, I also think it's, we can't compare it, but it's very humbling because a lot of those spaces are like what I imagine Jim Crow segregation felt like um, still to this day. There were a lot of spaces where the black folks were working and the white folks were sitting and, and black folks don't enjoy those spaces. Of course I could because I was an American um, person. I have lighter skin, so I was able to kind of do some things, but for the most part, it's it was okay for white people to not just outwardly say they don't like black people. I had a man who refused to talk to me when I was doing a research project because I was black. He would only address the white students who were on my trip who were asking the questions, you know, it, it just, it's probably the closest that you will ever get to understanding what Jim Crow segregation may have been like in this country. Um, so I think all of that obviously um, impacts your understanding of yourself and, and our history and our people. Okay. So, wow. I, I mean, just to go through that um, experience and I'm listening to you and I'm thinking, you know, I wish we can all get that experience and, you know, you leave it with a sense of self, but I also think like just with a sense of pride um, mm -hmm. with what our ancestors went through and that fighting spirit that they have and they didn't lose hope. Because, I mean, it's if you felt it just walking mm -hmm. through it, you know, hundreds of years later, can you imagine going through it, um, you know, and still having a spirit that just wasn't broken? So that is incredible. And I'm so glad that you had that experience, you know, and I hope that um, many people will get that experience because it's funny. You're right. We do get so entrenched with being in American, the American experience, being black in America, that you go to different parts of the world and some are welcoming and some are less welcoming and things like that. But everywhere you go, um, it's a different experience. So, all right. So, uh, I know that as a kid, you saw your mom, you know, she put on the celebrations with um, mm -hmm. Bob Marley and Malcolm X. You knew who Nanny of the, you know, Nanny, who she was, which one of our heroes in Jamaica, um, Marcus Garvey and all that, you know, you knew all that where many kids did not have that privilege. So you kind of understood activism and all that. And I, I'm, I'm sure you probably thought this, I'm going to go here one day. Um, mm -hmm. But um Let's talk about last year, what really galvanized you and kickstarted you to really step out um, from your mom's shadow and just let everybody see you for the powerful woman that you are. I mean, I'm sure you weren't thinking that at the time, you know, you're not stepping out. Well, you know, I'm going to do this, but what galvanized you to act and, you know, react as you did last year? Sure. Uh, I think that 
not to compare myself to, to those greats, so to say. I'm, I'm a young person and my, my feet are in the game. I obviously was, was right alongside my mom for a lot of different things in this city in regards to organizing, um, but I'm still young, still have a lot of, of, of road to walk. Um, but I think that what often happens is that when black folks are murdered by the police, um, folks come out and sort of like sway the energy and dissipate the energy um, and, and use Dr. King's legacy to, to convince people that they don't need to be mad. They need to just, you know, let it go and let the system prevail and so on and so forth. Um, and those who choose, you know, who want to bear witness to that, that mindset are absolutely entitled to do that. Everyone needs to do what makes them feel great in whatever journey they're on. You know, we have to, we have to honor, but I think for me, we, we need something different. We need to hear something different um, because this is not just George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, um, and, and a lot of other people as well over the summer. These are just some of the bigger names, but many people were murdered by the police this summer, and a lot of names folks don't know because, again, they were so wrapped up with George Floyd. But I think it's time for us to really start thinking about what it means for us to take care of each other and returning back to that village mentality um, in the 21st century, because, you know, there may be some good cops out there, but the, the fear that black people walk around with when they have to engage police officers, when a police car pulls up behind you speaks to something larger that we need to address, um, which is that we can, we know how to keep each other safe. We know what we need. We know how, that we need to provide things for ourselves to make sure that we're taking care of each other and keeping each other safe. Um, and so I just feel like while I appreciate the, the usual narrative and the usual words that people sort of muster up and, and conjure for the sake of, um, you know, addressing police violence and other, other violences against black bodies in this country, I think it's, it's time to hear a, a different message. And I think it's time for um, the elders to continue to be in place because we know that the wisdom of the elders is what then, um, you know, impacts the, the energy and the movement of young folks. We need that, that balance of the two. Um, but I think it's time for young people who have always kind of been at the forefront of movements. I was actually just reading about the Black Panther Party um, and how Bobby Seale and Huey P. Newton were both 21 years old when they founded the Black Panther Party. Fred Hampton was 21 years old when he was murdered by the Chicago police. So he had to have been doing work from the time he was like 16. Um, so young people have always had their pulse on what's going on in our world. And it's important that we allow space for them to, to share authentically, you know, what they're seeing in our world now and have the elders sort of support, like how my mom has done and many other people in my village have done, um, you know, so we can empower young people to, to start articulating these things and transition this, this fight that we know is going to continue. That's been happening for 400 years. We got to start getting our young people ready to be able to articulate what's going on. Absolutely. I, I mean, I, I think when they pick up that mantle and they march um, and you know, they protest and they're involved, like we've got to get them engaged because you really you have to think about it. Each generation teaches the other generation. So if we don't have young people stepping up now, once the elders die out, you know, um, who's going to carry the mantle? Um, who's going to tell our story. So it's important that we teach them. It's important that we support them. Um, but, you know, I've been very impressed by this 
young people of this generation, they're actively involved in, you know, standing up, marching. And, you know, there are the few and that's fine. There will always be dissenters. Um, but, you know, they're actively involved. They're marching, they're shouting, they're saying that this isn't okay. This is injustice. And I think it's interesting because, you know, it's a social media era and, you know, so many people are obsessed with being a social media star. And, you know, and I think a lot of people thought that this would miss the young people because they're more involved in that, but kind of overlooking that, you know, like you said, they were 21 years old when they started, but there is always something that pushes you and you're like, no, this must change. Uh, You knew it, but then there is a moment that you're like, I'm getting up, I'm, I'm getting, you know, even more involved in the fight and I'm educating, you know, my people to say, let's do this together. So I was very impressed by what you and the young people did over the summer. I was at a few of your, um, you know, the things that you put on the marches, um, you know, laying down on the ground for that 846. And, you know, that was powerful. And I wish that it was reported as such in most of the towns, you know, just the peaceful protest that happens and like the words that were spoken, like there was so much pain behind it. And they're here in rage. Yes, there is rage because you're constantly being beaten down and you're constantly being told that you're less than enough and that, you know, your life doesn't have value. So there is rage. But I think included with that rage, it's like somebody says, like, have a conscience, like have a conscience. We are human beings for 400 years. We've been here. Enough is enough. Can we just stop? So very impressed with, you know, just some of the marches and the things that you did. And um, so what are your plans for the future in regards to continuing this fight for social justice and racial equity? Mm-hmm. Yes. So right now, but, um, you know, everything that I do, my family is, is a hundred thousand percent behind, which I have that privilege. And I'm so grateful, um, to be supported by family and, and village and community and a bunch of people. Um, you know, folks have put their trust in us, um, in the work that we do. People trust that our story entertainment, me as an individual, my mother as an individual, my auntie's born, my brother, um, that, you know, something that we're doing is going to be is going to be involved with truth telling, consciousness raising from a place of love. People kind of understand that that's that's how we walk through the world. Um, so folks put trust in us in the community, and we appreciate that. It's a two way street. Um, right now, we are in the process of trying to figure out a, a, a headquarters, a building. We need a space. Um, so we were kind of in the works a little bit, trying to figure out um, a building. Again, we're my mom has put on all of the programming that she's put on for the good of her children and other children in the community, quite frankly, um, for the last 15 years out of pocket and out of community support. Um, the Jamaican restaurants have held down our Bob Mali birthday bash and donating food to us every year, even though we don't have money to give necessarily. Um, somehow someone always brings some ting and some porridge and patties and everything because folks have been kind of holding us down. Um, so... Our hope is that we can have a building where we can have other black folks who are committed to racial justice and, you know, teaching our history all together in a, in a collective. Um, and when something like George Floyd's murder happens and black people need somewhere to gather where we can say, 
maybe that's not the best way to use that rage. I understand why you're mad and maybe the best way to do it isn't like this. Maybe what we need to do is organize right here in this space and figure out how we're going to move forward together. Right now, Worcester doesn't have that and it has had that on multiple occasions, but you know, our local government has snuffed out all of those efforts and all of those folks who are trying to organize black people. Um, so we're, we're going to go for it again and we're going to have a, you know, continuing to figure out a building so that we can have youth programming so that we can get to babies young so that we can maybe think about a Saturday school because we know that the public school system is miseducating our children. They're not telling the truth. They honestly might not be equipped. They themselves might not know the truth about African people and black people in the world because, you know, it's, it's not taught. So it's important for us again to tell our story, our story and not history because history is his story and our story is our story of our people and our greatness. Um, so we're hoping to, again, have that building, be able to expand our programs, do the things that we've done for years and, and think of some new things to do as well to continue raising consciousness for young people, adults, elders, whoever it is that's that's willing to stand in light and consciousness with us is what our plan is moving forward. All right. Wonderful. Um, there is just so much to unpack in this. You know, one of the things that you said that struck me was, you know, um, having your own space, I think that's important to react authentically without, you know, just the world staring. It's just like to mourn, to cry, um, and then, you know, get to the action and, you know, channeling that rage, um, in the right way. You know, I had a conversation with somebody once and I think, you know, it's not that it's bad. I think it's okay to be angry, but I think when you're just angry, um, it's easier for people to dismiss you and then they're just angry and move on, but be angry, then channel that. Um, because we know that until we, you know, dismantle the system and the processes that were put in place to keep us as slaves to keep us as less than we're not going to get anywhere. And being angry alone is unfortunately not going to stop that. We have to be strategic. We have to be organized. We have to have allies in the right places. We have to vote. Um, we have to vote from mayors to district attorneys to before we even get to president for the senators, the one that, you know, did that second acquittal? <laughs> We're going to leave that, you know, things like that. We vote for these people and we vote for them by not voting. So then they're able to go into the Senate um, and, you know, and, and do these things that doesn't represent us because we didn't give a voice. We didn't have a voice. So it's just, and I like the younger generation here, you know, they understand that concept and, you know, they're turning up and they're voting. And because we want people in place that serves not just one group, but serves all. And oftentimes we're the group that is not served. So mm -hmm. like I said, um, a lot there um, to unpack and also important. So tell me, um, let's tell the viewers, what is our story, um, edutainment? We have talked about it over and over um, throughout this. We've mentioned it. Um, what is our story at edutainment for those and how can they find out information about it? Sure. So our story edutainment, again, this is the 15 years, now 16, 17 year work that my mother created that I inherited when I graduated from college in 2019. Um, so 
again, our belief is that history is his story. And that's typically, um, you know, white folks understanding of our history, which is usually very untrue. Um, and there's an African proverb that says, as long as the story of the hunt glorifies the hunter, like we'll never know the, the, the story of the lion and the sheep and the tiger and so on and so forth. Um, and for a long time, you know, the dominant culture, white folks have been the hunters and we have been the hunted. And so our history is not told right at all. But we also understand that young people are not necessarily going to want someone to sit talking at them. I sometimes don't want people to sit talking at me and I understand the value in that. Um, and so we choose to edutain people. So we educate folks through entertainment. So we might use a, a poem, we might use a performer, we might use a video, whatever we can use to get the message across. Um, so that you're just, and you're being entertained. And sometimes we snuck the knowledge in for you. You didn't even know you were getting it. And there it is. And it's, it's resonating two years later, maybe, I don't know. Um, but, you know, again, the belief is that in, in, in helping us better understand ourselves, the term knowledge yourself, knowledge of self to better yourself. Um, we know that we have to understand our history and our root and where we come from. Um, all the way back to, to Africa. You know, there's no way to know exactly where we're from, but we know we are the descendants of West African people um, in this country. And we have an obligation to know our history and to know our stories. And it's important for us to, to bring that forward in the events that we do and the programming that we do. Um, folks who want to get connected with us right now, we're, we're mainly on Facebook right now because we've been doing, like so many others, switching over with COVID from our, our large in-person big events that are usually so beautiful and have like a hundred people there. We obviously can't do with COVID safely. Um, so we've been on Facebook trying to do our programming virtually like so many others. So the best way to get in touch with us would be on Facebook. If you do our story, O-U-R story, and then edutainment, which is E-D-U-T-I-N-M-E-N-T, edutainment um, on Facebook. That's probably the best way to get in touch with us. And you can send us a message, like the page, we share our events and other events that we know that are going on locally that, you know, we think folks should support as well. Wonderful. You have an event happening today, right? Yes, we do. We have an event today. It is um, one. This is the first part of our Sankofa series and keep showing off my little shirt here. But this is the Sankofa bird um, and it's an, an Adinkra symbol which is from the Akan people of what is now Ghana. But of course, we know that those borders, those 54 countries that we know of Africa now, there was never any borders back in the day. That's relatively new in world history. So this is what we know as Ghana, but the Akan people did not call it Ghana. Um, but they have a number of symbols. This is one of our favorites, and it's the bird whose body is facing forward, but the head is facing backwards, and it literally means go back and fetch it. Um, so it means you have to know your history, you have to know where you've come, you have to know the steps that have already been walked so you don't repeat that same history and waste time and energy and resources. We can just keep building on what our ancestors have done. Um, so this first series is today, Valentine's Day, um, at 1 p.m., and we're going to be talking about our West African origins and our history before we were enslaved people. The next Sunday we'll be talking about the Mafa, which is the um, Swahili term for the Middle Passage. Um, and then talking about child slavery and, and rebellions, the way we rebelled against what was going on. And then our third session will be um, talking about what it means to be black in the 21st century, what this looks like for us now and how do we move forward with all our history. So three really great sessions every Sunday in Black History Month, even though black history is 365. 24-7. But... <laughs> all right. 
All right. Wonderful. No, that's awesome. And I'm glad that folks will have an opportunity to learn about, you know, learn the history, um, things they don't, they didn't know about things that are not taught. And, you know, one of the things you had said earlier when you had answered a previous question, you said, you know, it's not taught in school. And you know what? Because truthfully, most of the teachers, they they don't know it themselves because they weren't taught it. So how can you teach what you don't know? Right. So I'm hoping that at one point it will get easier or I'm going to say easier. It will become necessary, normal, common for folks to learn our history. And because it's our, it's a part of history, it's not separate. So, yeah, but I think, um, to tell it truthfully, they would have to tell all the atrocities mm-hmm. and, um, <laughs> folks aren't often not prepared to tell the atrocities, um, because mm-hmm. their version for years has been different. So I see you have a little friend in the camera there. Nala means empress or beloved one or, you know, the queen. She's the queen of the house. All right now. All right. Well, there's a lot of queens over there. <laughs> okay. All right. Awesome. So there is another um, organization that you are a part of that kind of got birthed. Um, Black Families Together. Let's talk about what that is. Sure, definitely. So Black Families Together was formed, again, this George Floyd, Amar Arbery, Breonna Taylor energy that was kind of happening. Um, there was a number of different people doing things in, in small ways. There was a group called Coaches for Change who were trying to engage um, young people about Black Lives Matters through sports. There was the Worcester Voter Rights Initiative who was trying to engage young Black people in, in voting, trying to get more Black folks um, registered to vote. We were having black community gatherings at Green Hill Park for black folks to unpack, you know, how they were feeling. So a number of different things were going on. And we decided instead of like, you know, folks usually do, you do your thing over here. And, and I, you know, we don't know all the work going on. We all decided to come together and share the work we were doing so that we could all be on the same page. So if a, a young brother comes to me and says, he's, you know, he's into basketball, I can send him that way. We don't have to be the experts of everything there can be someone else who is an expert in this and I can be the expert in this and you can be the expert in this and we can just share because it's not about power or ego when we're, when we're organizing. It's about getting folks conscious together by whatever means. Um, so that's how we had started. And then we invited black folks to kind of get on these calls and organize these different platforms that we know need to be addressed in our community. And for the last almost like eight, nine months, um, We've been, you know, we've established some demands specifically around education and police violence um, as those were the, the hot things that we could kind of move on because the energy nationally was was demanding accountability. Um, so we've been meeting with black folks every first and third Monday um, and a lot of different folks come and have conversation and try and build on our platforms. And then we've had meetings with the, the chief of police, the city manager, the superintendent, um, the mayor, you know, some of the folks who need to, you know, who need to be held accountable by, by black folks in the city for their failure to show up for us the way that they need to. Um, how that's going is a different story because folks are resistant to, um, to to change, period. But especially when it comes to black folks, folks are hesitant and reluctant and, and always willing to push back and not always willing to listen especially when you come from a place of of power and privilege and you've never had to understand what it's like to walk through the world as a black person, a black woman, especially as we know that that dual oppression of womanhood and blackness, though it is our greatness, you know, in society um, means that we impact dual oppression. 
So for folks who have never experienced that, it's really hard for them to wrap their head around why we're demanding more black teachers, why black folks are demanding that the police be removed from our school, why black folks are demanding that we have an, uh, a, a civilian review board, have police oversight where the community is able to decide if that police officer should keep their job or not. Um, they're, they're not, they can't wrap their head around that just yet, but we're also not willing to, to not willing to let go of any of our demands, you know, black, this is what black folks wanted. So we're doing what we can to push for that to happen. It's time. Mm-hmm. It's time. And you are right. You're correct. When you're asking folks to examine their beliefs and when they realize that their beliefs has been wrong, unfortunately, that, you know, their reaction is to hold on for dear life um, and just shut out the, the thought, the existence of other things, because then they may have to examine that their parents were wrong. Their grandparents were wrong. Their aunts and their uncles were wrong. But I've always believed that if your belief system, um, and against any race, if your belief system is the oppression and the persecution of any race, gender, or class of people, you need to examine it. And you're wrong because it's wrong. Like you should not, there should not be one over the other. So like I said, I think the racial reckoning that is happening now, it's that we're saying to folks, see us as human beings, see Mm -hmm. us just as powerful. And it touches their place of privilege. And, you know, then they'll be like, well, I'm not privileged. I've worked for everything. And I think they're deliberately misunderstanding because they don't want to. Um, you know, I refuse to think that it's ignorance. They can't, I think it's, they don't want to. So when, again, you're questioning their beliefs and, you know, things like that, and they're comfortable, you know, you're comfortable. You know, I talked about, um, I interviewed a young lady the other day and, you know, she happened to be Caucasian. You know, we talked about white privilege and things like that and why folks were triggered, triggered when, you know, you say black lives matter and they have to, re- you know, respond our life matters and blue life matters and, you know, all of that. And, you know, she, she, you know, talked about a come to Jesus moment that she had, um, you know, she was driving in a car with her kids and, you know, she had gotten pulled over and she was kind of like, you know, how dare they treat me like that? And, you know, things like that. And, all, you know, all she was, was like pulled over and things like that. And she wasn't pulled out of her car and, you know, things like that. And, you know, it took her a moment for her to realize like she was felt like, you know, and how some folks seem when they're treated unfairly, they're treated like they're black folks and like, wow. Okay. Okay. I mean, I've seen it with the, the, again, the former occupants of the White House, um, his fanatics, um, you know, an air, airport, one of the gentlemen yelling, you know, when the police attacked him was like, you know, you're treating me like a black person. And, you know, these things just, wow. You're like, really? Which that statement to me here, it's like, so that means you know what's going on when you say you're treating me like exactly. a person. It's like, you know how you do. people are being treated and you know you don't want it for yourself, clearly, by what you're saying. And that means you gotta, you know, why would you allow it to happen to somebody else if you know you don't want that for yourself and your children and your people? You there know, it is. You know what's going on and you gotta do what you gotta do to use your privilege to... to exactly. And that's why I believe that it's not, they don't know. It's just, they choose not to. So, uh, so much going on. And I am looking every day to see, you know, what's happening. 
And I think that there's definitely movement. And I think there's a lot of people right now that are holding folks accountable, as you guys are doing. Um, the people that are in positions of power, the people that are in positions of influence, they need to be held accountable. They need to be called out and they need to acknowledge that, okay, we have done this long enough. It's time we do better. Yep. So. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm so excited by, you know, what you guys are doing, just watching you guys and seeing you guys just step in um, unapologetic and claiming your space, claiming your voice and just owning your power. I love it. Love it. Love it. Um, I watched the Bob Marley event virtually the other day. (laughs) Yes. And you are correct. You guys do sneak in the knowledge in there while you're being educated. um, entertained, you are also being educated. So I love that. Um, it, you know, the funny thing is I've been doing the Bob Marley events for a while. I was host, you're my little helper for a very long time. And, you know, seeing it come full circle is just a phenomenal thing. And I learned so much about Bob at those events. And I'm from Jamaica. Bob's from Jamaica. And like, you know, I knew a lot of things about Bob, but I learned so much every time there's an event. I I think you guys are challenged to find something new about Bob. So every year. year, So how do you find something new about one of the most well-known entertainers, right? (laughs) Because his life was an open book. But every year you guys rise to the challenge and you do it. You bring something new for Bob and new videos and things like that. And this year was beautifully done. Um, Virtually enjoyed it. Had to get off at when I got to work at one, but um, it was very, very nice. So, yep. All right. Well, I am so grateful that mm-hmm. you came on. I'm so grateful that I had an opportunity to share this space with you. Mm-hmm. I'm so grateful that I'm a part of your village. And because your mom invited me in a very long time ago, and once you're in, you're in. So, <laughs> wait, leave it. So, you know, I just wish that more villages would be formed. I, I just wish that. Um, all across America right now and across the world, maybe, you know, um, I'm not sure what it's like in other areas, but I know there are villages in Jamaica um, that black folks just realize it takes a village. You know, we're ones in need and you have abundance, you know, share that resource and things like that. Cause everybody is everybody's mothers. We're mothers. We are mother earth you know, and, you know, give that knowledge and things like that. All right. So as we are wrapping up, what can you, what else would you like to share? Miss Phenomenal Woman, the youngest phenomenal woman. Uh, All right. Making history here. Yay, 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 yay. What would you like to share? Um, What would you like folks for us to know about you? I think I would just like to, I would like to encourage people because again, and and folks who are engaged in in consciousness raising and and move, you know, moving and shaking, um, you know, our our hope is to always impact people and and continue guiding folks on that path to consciousness, whatever it looks like for people. Um, But I would love to encourage folks to um, continue to, to, just don't eat the cookies that they're giving us. Uh, cookies are my favorite. I love sweets, but there is poison in the cookies if okay. we don't understand what is going on in our worlds and if we don't understand um, our positionality, which is a fancy word to say, how I'm read is different than how you're read. 
as someone with an accent, as a black woman, we're both black women, but you have darker skin than me. It means that in our system, the way things are set up, because we understand that it's racism, we understand that it's colorism, we understand that it's national origin, we understand it's religion, it's all of these different compounding things that impact the way that we're viewed in, in the world. And so I encourage people to better understand where they lie, you know, in our society's stratification of people. Um, I'm a black woman. I have those two oppressions, but I'm formally educated. So that means I have more privilege than my grandfather who only completed second grade. It means that, you know, that the structure sees me different as someone who was formally educated. I'm more valuable than someone who didn't go to college. It means that I'm not a queer person. I'm not a transgender person. It means I have a different privilege. Um, you know, than, than other people in our world. And I hope that we can all, from a place of deep love, better understand how, you know, how we move through spaces, how systems read us, how people read us, um, and, and use the privileges that we have in order to continue lifting from the bottom and creating a better world for those at the, at the very bottom of our societal heap, because we know who they are. And we know when you lift from the bottom, everyone inherently lifts up. When black folks changed the Civil Rights Act of 1964, women were, you know, had to come up. Latinx folks had to come up off of black folks doing what they needed to do for black folks. But everyone inherently comes up when you're when you're organizing centers, black people who are at this point because of our white supremacist world are at the bottom and folks center women and transgender people, when folks center those who don't have a lot of money in our society, when we center those who are the most at the bottom, um, you know, we're doing the work that needs to be done for collective healing and to uplift everyone. So I hope that folks can continue to read and continue to educate themselves. Um, come on board with our story entertainment if you're having a hard time doing that and we'll try our best to guide you the right way. Um, but we really have an obligation, again, as I usually say and close things out, to the ancestors, to those who came before us, to those who put down the railroad tracks, knowing that they would not see the train come through. Harriet Tubman knew she was not gonna see the end of slavery and she still freed 300 people and went back into slavery 19 times to free people. Queen Nanny, you know, she wasn't necessarily enslaved. She was free because she was a maroon, but she's like the, the island version of, of our Harriet. And these are people who I'm sure did not think they were gonna see the world they wanted to see and they still chose to act. And we have an obligation to honor our ancestors and to make a way for three generations down the line, the folks that I probably won't meet. We have an obligation to do all we can in the ways that we can to honor those who came before us and make a way for those who have yet to even be born. Um, and so I encourage everyone to do what they can to keep this, keep this, you know, the railroad track being built. So when the train does come through, we can say we did our part because um, it's going to come. Justice doesn't, doesn't wait for nobody. It's going to come. It has to. It has to. Well, thank you so much, um, uh, Medina. I thoroughly enjoyed our chat, um, as always. Uh, <laughs> normally, it's a lot less formal, right? There's not a mic and a camera pointed at us. Or, although, actually, Bob Marley Bass, some of them were televised, but we were just doing our thing. So. <laughs> It was, it was just incredible. It was just those memories just live on. And sometimes I see the pictures. At one point, I was pregnant. <laughs>
<laughs> oh my goodness. I had some good times. My village was, my village is good. So um, I know you have a lovely village. There's so many people in your village that, you know, and village, you don't have to be related by blood. So I love that. Um, and, you know, the future generation, um, I definitely think there's going to be a lot of things they're doing that we didn't think of. Um, and, and that's it. It's educate and teach the next and do all you can to empower your people. And it's funny to me that people don't realize if the people that are at the bottom are risen up and they're wealthy and prosperous and healthy, then the ones that were at the top will only go higher. But I think people think that if you help the bottom, then they're going to flip. It doesn't mean that you're not, you're not going to go to the bottom. Like white folks are not going to go to the bottom, you know? So, so uneven that there's no way that that would even happen. It can't. It can't, you know, it's just like, we can all eat. We're not going to run out of stuff. And I, you know, I say this because I do like, you know, my positive thing. And I say, you know, like there is room and space for everybody to shine, to eat and things like that. But some folks are just so like, held on. Exactly. Get my bag, eat my bread, just worry about me. And that's not our nature at all. We've always been people who work for the village. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, you know, I say to my siblings all the time, I want all of us to be prosperous. I want all of us to do well, whether it's so y'all don't sleep on my couch, but (laughs) no. That's what I said. So me and my brother Cliff, we were talking about it the other day and we were like, no, I really do. I just, I want to look around and see folks doing well. And it, it is such a, it's an island thing too. You know, it's kind of like, you know, when Usain Bolt, oh my goodness, is running across that field. Like every Jamaican is cheering like they helped raise him with his mama. <laughs> So, you know, that's it. I just would love to see um, just more communities being birthed and just coming together and just push forward and educated and just loving on folks. That's it. All right. Well, I thank you. You guys are the future. I'm looking forward to more things from coming from you guys. And we will as, oh my goodness, I I don't want to call myself, you know, the elder, but I think I might be. (laughs) kind of sitting funny <laughs> yes um yeah one day I, well and i think it's a it's a respect too because for me elders is so yeah. like i don't think i'm an elder you know and it's yeah. not even a conceit thing it's just that yeah. there's so much to learn from the yeah. elders you know like you know you sit at their feet and you learn and you absorb and i i think i'm still learning and growing yeah. and things like that so i'll take the older <laughs> So I am, I'm so proud of you, young lady, just so proud of everything and just being able to see your phenomenal journey and knowing that you're just getting started and Mm -hmm. will be here to support you in all that you do. All right. Wonderful. 
So thank you for coming on. All right, guys. So this was the Sit Down with Suzanne podcast, the second um, in the Phenomenal Woman series, Miss Lovely Medina. Um, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. We are on iTunes. We are on iHeart. We're on Pandora, Spotify, um, Stitcher, Amazon, like on every single platform. I cannot remember them all. Um, the video will be up on YouTube. Subscribe, share, like. Um, if you have a story that you want told, um, you're welcome to reach out to me at Suzanne at PositivelySuzanne.com. And as always, I hope that you were inspired. I hope that you were motivated and I hope that you were empowered. And until next time, this is Suzanne signing off.